Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here to break down the Angels farm system with you today. And to do that, we're joined by Mike DiGiovanna of Los Angeles Times, the uh, legendary beat writer for the Angels for many, many years. Mike, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kyle. And uh, I'm going to equate the word legendary with being very old. (laughs) Mike, you've been around this Angels team for a very long time and we saw everything really kind of fall apart in a lot of ways last year. The Angels went 72 and 90. It was their fourth straight losing season. It was their worst record in 20 years. And of course the tragic death of Tyler Skaggs midseason. A lot of things went poorly for the Angels uh, in addition to the off the field tragedy. They are now moving on to their third manager in three years. They let Brad Osmus go after only one year on the job, brought in Joe Madden from the Cubs. And with that, we've seen the Angels make a lot of changes. They signed Anthony Rendon to kind of fix their decade-long third base hole. They've revamped the pitching staff, trading for Dylan Bundy, as well as Matt Andrees, signing Julio Tehran. So in a lot of ways, the worst year for the Angels in 20 years, both on and off the field combined with a complete revamping of the Major League team in a lot of ways this year. How do you kind of assess where they are as a franchise right now? Yeah, the way you describe it, Kyle, it's hard to imagine things getting much worse for the Angels uh, than they did last year. And I think, uh, you know, starting with the, the return of Joe Madden, I think you're seeing not a complete house cleaning, but uh, definitely a lot of new faces. Uh, I think change was definitely needed uh, and in order. Uh, you know, a lot of new arms coming in, uh, Anthony Rendon, uh, and eventually Jock Peterson, so some huge additions to the lineup. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year uh, for the Angels, and you know, let's not forget they, they still have the best player in baseball, Mike Trout, so, and Otani uh, probably coming back to the mound at some point, so uh, I don't I don't see any way uh, they don't get better this year. You know, will they compete for World Series? I don't know. Will they contend for a playoff spot? I think they should. And one of the things that the Angels have lacked for a couple years, frankly, has been top-level prospects who can come up and make an immediate impact. We've seen around the game, teams like the Braves a couple years ago, getting guys like Ronald Acuna midseason, Fernando Tatis Jr. coming up and helping the Padres last year. The Angels haven't had a player like that. Otani was one in a way, but it was a different circumstance coming over from Japan. In terms of a homegrown young player that can make an impact like that, they haven't had that really since Mike Trout made his debut back during the 2011 season, and he kind of got going in 2012. For the first time in a long time, it feels like the Angels might have a guy who can do that for them, and Joe Adele is uh, the number one prospect in this system again for the second consecutive year. Mike, I think the question Angels fans all want to know is, how close is he to being ready for Anaheim? I think he's very close. Um, you know, he, he got up to AAA last year, kind of got... Uh humbled a little bit you know he struggled a little bit at that level as most guys do 
I think he's on the cusp. I, I think certainly uh, they probably want to start him out in AAA, let him, you know, get some at-bats, uh, get some experience to that level, hopefully master that level. And I, I think by the All-Star break, he should be big league ready. One of the things that's been really impressive about Joe Adele, really his whole career, is whenever he's met struggle, he's overcome it very, very quickly. You'll remember at this time last year, he'd gotten up to double-A, struggled a little bit at that level. This year, missed the start of the season with injuries, went back to double-A and just crushed it. Went to triple-A, had his ups and downs. They went to the fall league, got off to a slow start, then absolutely tore it up to finish. And then what I thought was most telling was when he went out to the Premier 12 tournament, the U.S. Olympic qualifying tournament playing for Team USA, He was the best player on the field for Team USA by far, and not just for Team USA. He led the entire tournament in hits, tied for the tournament lead in home runs. This was one of the best players on a worldwide tournament with decorated Japanese and Korean professionals. It feels like whenever Joe Adele meets a struggle, he overcomes it and overcomes it quick, and I feel like that bodes very well for not just you know, the long-term future, but even the short-term future and his ability to make an impact for the Angels sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think that's along with his uh, prodigious physical tools. I think that's why the Angels are so excited about this kid. Uh, his work ethic, his maturity, uh, even as a high school kid coming into the pro ranks, uh, his coachability, his, uh, just his overall demeanor, very receptive uh, you know, to, to coaching and a good teammate. You're seeing a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, a lot of maturity out of this kid, and a lot of uh, sort of mental resolve. You know, there are plenty of prospects who uh, you know get this close and, and they don't make it. And uh, I think Joe Adele seems to have a mental toughness and an ability to adjust and adapt to his surroundings and and, and to and this drive to get better that uh, you know you don't often see at that age. So uh, yeah, I think. He, Injury always will uh, necessitate a move, usually at this stage, more than uh, a guy being ready or opportunity. So uh, I think when he's ready, you know, he'll be here. And, and, and the hope from the Angels' perspective is, you know, you know, you don't want him to come up and go down, come up and go down. Once he gets here, you want him to be here for good. And, and I think that's going to require at least a, a good, you know, uh, batch of games uh, where he can play every day, whether that comes via, you know, an injury to a starter now. Uh, or, or maybe a trade at the All-Star break. I don't know. I, I just think by the, by the mid, middle of summer this year, he should be ready for the big leagues in my mind. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of, of Mike Trout's first call-up. It happened when Peter Borges got hurt. Trout came up, was able to play every day. When Borges came back, they sent Trout back down so he could continue playing every day, and then they brought him back up. That seems to me to be the kind of path we're talking about. Like you said, you don't want to bring him up and platoon him or give him a start, but then have him sit on the bench. If he goes up and down, it would be because he needs to play every day in both spots. Yeah, and one of the problems the Angels have, and I guess it's not a terrible problem to have, is they just have a few too many guys who are uh, essentially DHs, you know, Otani will get the bulk of the DH at bats, uh, whether he's pitching or not. Pool holes will need, you know, at least this year, and if he's still here next year, we'll need a, a fair amount of at bats at DH. And frankly, you know, uh, in a perfect world, Justin Upton would be a DH, and Joe Adele might be your left fielder going into the season. So, you know, they're tied into some of these big contracts for another year or two, uh, and maybe even two to three years. I forget Upton's off the top of my head. Uh, so that's going to hinder, you know, that could inhibit Joe Adele's progress 
you know, in the short term. But, you know, we've seen it before. You know, you think Juan Soto in Washington, somebody's going to block that kid, you know, the way he was hitting. You know, sometimes these kids come up and they just seize a spot. So uh, I'm not saying he's going to beat out Mike Trout in center field, but certainly, uh, you know, if Jock Peterson struggles, if Justin Upton uh, struggles or gets hurt, you know, you could see Joe Adele a little sooner. Yeah, I think the ultimate example of that, I think about the Cody Bellinger, Adrian Gonzalez situation 2017 with the Dodgers. Like, you know, there's not really room for Bellinger. Adrian Gonzalez is at first. They have all these outfielders. Well, all those outfielders get hurt. He comes up and plays the outfield, and then Adrian Gonzalez gets hurt. Cody Bellinger takes the spot, and the rest is history. So talent will win out, and uh, Joe Adele certainly has plenty of that. Yeah, I agree. Talent always wins out. Uh, something Mike Sosa drilled into our heads year after year and we see it all the time you know uh guys will play in you know getting the big big leagues is tough but when you play well enough to uh, sort of establish that footprint and a starting role when you're producing you know you're gonna you're gonna stay there as long as you continue to produce and i just i think joe adele's got a, a boatload of talent his talent will get him here and uh, we're gonna see him soon enough Adele's obviously the top prospect in the system, number three overall prospect in baseball. The Angels have a lot of athletic outfielders in their system. Numbers two and three, Brandon Marsh and Jordan Adams. Marsh took a a leap, really, I feel like, in the consciousness of the wider baseball world this year, despite missing time with an injury, despite having to kind of reorient his swing midseason. He still hit over 300 at AA in a very pitcher-friendly environment, was one of the stars of the Arizona Fall League. In your discussions with evaluators inside and outside the system, what was the overall take on Brandon Marsh, and maybe how have views of him changed from this year to last, or last year to this year, I should say? Yeah, it's interesting. You talk to guys, and there are plenty who will say that Brandon Marsh is a a better outfielder, uh, runs better routes, gets better jumps, stronger arm than Joe Adele. Uh, I think power-wise, Joe Adele probably has him a little bit there, but, you know, one's right-handed, one's left-handed, different guys. Uh, I think, you know, Marsh uh, really overhauled his swing in the middle of the last year, and uh, I think it really helped him. Uh, and yeah, I'm not sure what they were doing beforehand, but it wasn't working. Uh, but yeah, I think he took a huge leap in the middle of last year, had a great fall. Uh, once again, uh, a really interesting guy from the left side. He still... You know, he still has to get the AAA and, and establish himself there. I think he's at least a, a year uh, away, uh, and we'll see, you know, what happens uh, in front of him. Remember, you know, Mike Trout's not going anywhere, so uh, it's possible Marsh could, uh, if he's ready next year, he could be in some kind of platoon role in the outfield as well. So, uh, But really, I think the thing with him is defensively, he just seems like such a, you know, we don't see these guys uh play much in the minor leagues but from what you hear defensively he's probably ready to play in the big leagues right now so it's just a matter of uh you know that offense sort of catching up to the defense yeah and the offense continues to catch up to it one of the things i know talking to scouts who had angel system covers this year and i know you heard it as well was the angels were doing some interesting things with their hitting instruction throughout the minor leagues this year and to be frank it was visibly i how should i say this you could kindly say it was curious some of the things they were teaching them less charitably you could say that's not how you hit we're talking basic hitting mechanics here not philosophy differences and a lot of their guys struggled around middle of the season with a lot of input from their pro scouting department 
they cut out a lot of that instruction and let a lot of these guys get back to being athletic in the box, standing a little taller, having their natural swings. It's not a coincidence. We saw Brandon Marsh, Jordan Adams, Jemai Jones all had a huge tick up in the second half. And it's not like they all got hot. The Angels made a conscious decision to shelve some of the uh, interesting hitting things they were teaching their minor leaguers and it allowed these guys real talent to come out. Jordan Adams was another guy, as we mentioned, who was part of this. If you look at his splits from July 1st on, looked really good. Take us through what you were hearing about him and, and maybe some of those swing stuff as well, because I know you and I both heard it about a lot of different guys, how swings got better as the year went on because they shelved some of what they were teaching them. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned Marsh and Jones, kind of two different situations there. I think Marsh was hitting out of a crouch position, and they got him a little more upright. And I think with Jemai, you know, he was uh, sort of – started wetting that uh, launch angle uh, stuff and got a little too into that and got away from him so hit the way he usually hits. So he went back to his old stance uh, in the middle of the year and, and looked a lot better. Uh, I know with Adams, uh, he used a, a leg kick in high school that really worked for him, and I think they had tried to scrap that early in his career and let him go back to that last year. And He looked a lot more comfortable. And, you know, this guy, he's, he's much farther off than uh, – you know, Marsh and Adele at this point, but everything you hear about him is he might even be a, a better athlete than those two guys, which is really saying something. Uh, certainly speed-wise, I think he's probably the fastest guy in the system. Uh, elite speed, you know, he, he outruns some of, the, uh, some of his mistakes uh, in, in, in outfield routes, uh, but he's still really young, really raw, still sort of... Uh, translating his athletic ability ability to uh, baseball skills um, you know some people think he might be a leadoff hitter uh, some think he might grow into more of a middle order guy I don't know it's tough to say he's just so young at this point but uh, a lot of raw athleticism to work with for yeah, it was interesting talking to scouts who kept seeing him in the Midwest League, and some even went so far as to say, I, I don't know what to do with him because he's just so, so, so raw. He came out to Inland Empire at the end of the year. I made a point to go see him. And one thing that I know I thought was encouraging was for a guy who, as raw as he's reputed to be, he actually had some really impressive strike zone discipline. A lot of quiet takes, was recognizing pitches out of the hand. It wasn't like he was this big athlete who bang on the athleticism and has no idea how to hit yet. There was more baseball instincts than I felt like I had heard there was talking to scouts. And maybe he just grew tremendously during the year. But seeing quality of that bats, the ability to work account, the ability to recognize pitches and manage the strike zone. And again, just the quiet takes really stood out to me. That was impressive. So I feel like there, there's maybe a higher baseline to work with than maybe what some of the raw numbers might indicate. Yeah, it's weird. You know, I think he had uh, 111 strikeouts and 56 walks. So obviously there's some, uh, you know, there's some swing and miss in there. But, you know, what were the pitches he was swinging and missing at? Uh, yeah, I've heard the same things you are that uh, has a feel for the strike zone that you don't uh, – see often at that age uh, and it, he doesn't seem to chase a lot so you know maybe guys are just uh, throwing some nasty stuff in the zone whatever it is uh, that leads to 11, 111 strikeouts you know that obviously has to be addressed you'd like to see a guy with that kind of speed making a little better contact but the fact that he has such a good feel for the strike zone I think will lead to his uh, his walks continuing to rise and a better on base percentage and 
boy, uh, with that kind of speed, you can wreak some havoc on the bases. Yeah, I think watching his development will be one of the most interesting subplots of uh, the Angels minor league season. Mike, is it fair to say these were the clear cuts, you know, numbers one, two, and three prospects in the system in that order based on your discussions with evaluators? Yeah, the one thing, uh, you know, we, we didn't have a pitcher up that high. That's probably, uh, I think, fair. Uh, in number four spot, Jeremiah Jackson, you know, talk about a guy who really jumped off the uh, uh, under the radar last summer, uh, had some like 20, 23 homers in like a six week span over the summer. Uh, another real wiry, uh, long and lean kind of kid. Uh, you know, just a surprising power. I think I got him at six foot 165 right now. And, uh, let's see, I think he hit, uh, yeah, 23 homers at Orm last year. That's a short season. Uh, that's a lot of pop. Uh, and, you know, he's still a little raw defensively. So there's a guy, you know, middle middle infielder with that kind of power at that age. You know, that's pretty nice, uh, nice thing to have. So he was the only other guy who I thought maybe uh, could have, you know, snuck into that number three spot. Uh, but I probably would have had uh, Adams at number four if, if that was the case. So, yeah, certainly those are the top three, top four guys in the system. Yeah, with Jeremiah Jackson, you mentioned the 23 home runs at Orem. It's a very hitter-friendly environment, but everyone else is playing that environment too, and he tied the league record for home runs. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of pop there. With that, there's a lot of swings and misses. Uh, had a 33% strikeout rate, that's a, striking out in a third of his at-bats. And sometimes we see at the lower levels, the guys with a lot of power but lesser contact skills, that gap kind of widens as the pitching gets uh, a little tougher and they get a little older. And so a lot of times it, you'd almost want to see more average and less power at the lower levels. What is kind of the sense on him, and, and really what's the confidence level that he will make enough contact against full-season pitching as he's uh, expected to see this coming year? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, 96 strikeouts and uh, 256 at-bats is definitely a, definitely a problem. Um, and only 24 walks uh, as well. You know, that's... What is he, 19 years old? Uh, I forget his exact age. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, I think he just turns uh, 20 in March. So, still talking about a really young guy. Uh, can plate discipline be taught? Is it innate? Um, you know, those are tough questions. Uh, I'm sure you've seen situations with guys either way where uh, they struck out a lot, you know, in the minor leagues and, and, and developed into good hitters as they got closer to the big leagues. I don't know. That's a tough question, Kyle. Um, I just know that kind of power, that kind of raw ability is something you can dream on a bit. But certainly for this kid to uh, to uh, continue to rise through the system, uh, he's going to have to make better contacts. So it'll be an interesting year for him. Uh, I'm assuming he'll probably be at Burlington, uh, low A this year, which would be a good level for him. So probably a guy you want to move slow. No need to rush him. Uh but once again, that power, yeah, there's a lot of promise there, and, and he'll be a really interesting guy to follow here in these next couple of years. Absolutely. You mentioned these were the top four in the system, pretty clear cut. Feels like five to ten 
could have gone a bunch of different ways. This is where you start seeing some of the pitchers, Jose Soriano and Hector Yan, two hard throwers who really opened some eyes at Burlington last year in this group. Chris Rodriguez, uh, who looked really, really impressive before uh, needing season-ending back surgery. Patrick Sandoval, who got up to the majors. It's very pitcher-heavy in this group. Ultimately, how many names were in consideration here in this 5-10? to Jemai Jones, who we mentioned finished the year uh, strongly, was not in the top 10. How many names total was in this group, and how many different ways could it have all gone? Yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, I really struggled with Chris Rodriguez because uh, – you know, some of the some of the scouts and pitching coordinators and the Angel system are still really high on this kid, but he's he's pitched three games in the last two years, uh, uh, and he's now uh, you know he's 21. He'll be 22 in July. Uh, hasn't pitched above single A, you know, high A ball, but the stuff uh, the stuff is still considered you know a four pitch guy really. You know, really good command of all four of those pitches. Uh, a lot of them are plus pitches. Um, he's a guy who has the, the repertoire to rise pretty quickly if he can stay healthy. Uh, Patrick Sandoval, to me, is a guy who had some big league success last year. Kind of a no-brainer for me because, you know, he, he's shown he can be a solid maybe number five guy. Uh, but, yeah, the two guys you mentioned, Soriano and Jan, to me, are the most interesting, especially Young, because of the lefty who's throwing up around, you know, upper 90s. Uh, I think he had 100, uh, what, 146 strikeouts uh, at Burlington last year. Uh, that's pretty exciting stuff. 148 strikeouts in 109 innings. You know, I know it's low A, uh, but that's pretty good uh, strikeout ratio right there. So yeah, I like him from the left side. You know, I kind of envision maybe an oldest Chapman type. Maybe he ends up in the bullpen, but, you know, 98-99 is uh, tough to come by, for, especially on the left side. So uh, I really like his uh, upside especially. Yeah, Jan finished second in the Midwest League with 148 strikeouts, and Jose Soriano was another swing-and-miss demon at Burlington this year. Both these guys have premium stuff, also a little bit of wildness, which is not uncommon for young guys who throw as hard as they do. Talking to a lot of evaluators, there seemed to be a confidence that Soriano will stick as a starter as he continues to figure out his body, whereas they did see Jan as more of a bullpen piece. Now, an impact bullpen piece, um, but that, that starter relief split between Soriano and Jan kept coming back to me. Were you hearing the same things as you were diving into this process? Yeah, I think uh, Soriano has a few more pitches. Uh, he seems to have that long loose body that maybe uh, lends itself to more durability uh, more of a pitcher's body uh, uh, very rhythmic delivery um, it's that kind of delivery where he doesn't seem to be putting a lot of stress on his arm and his body uh, and that's that really bodes well considering his age you know he's already uh, touched 100 miles an hour with his fastball with his four seamer uh, has a pretty nice curve and a decent change up and I think if he can uh, mix a two-seam fastball in there, that could make him a four-pitch pitcher. Uh, whereas Jan, uh, for as hard as he throws, you know, I don't think he's got the secondary pitches, which is another reason. Uh, uh, I think the, the lack of a, a third pitch, and uh, you know, he's sort of got that funky uh, three-quarter cross-body delivery that can be really confusing. Uh, for hitters coming out of that bullpen so you know uh, he's got a nice change up uh, I'm not sure about his split fingered fastball but uh, 
I think when you throw that hard from the left side with a sort of a funky delivery, you know, a good fastball and a good changeup could be all you need out of the bullpen. Either way, two electric arms, and, and we've talked about the Angels bringing a lot of athleticism into their system in recent years, and you see that at the top with guys like Adele, like Marsh, like Adams, like Jackson. There was also a period where they didn't really have guys with premium stuff, and they've started to get those guys. Chris Rodriguez, when I saw him last year, was up to 97 while commanding three secondaries. That's why there's a lot of promise there. And Soriano and Jan, it does seem like they've, they've really brought in some pitchers, both in the draft and internationally, who can bring it, which is something, frankly, they didn't have for a long time. Yeah, that's sort of a, you know, you hear the term uh, athleticism as being a big target now with Matt Swanson and, and Billy Epler. Uh, and, and you know, I asked some guys specifically what it, how it translates to pitchers because you don't often think of <clears throat> pitchers as being, you know, athletic. But I think what they're talking about is just guys with raw upside. You know, there's so many more guys in the system are throwing 95 and above than they were years ago. Uh, there's pitchers with bodies that you can actually, uh, you know, like Soriano, that you can actually project uh, as being really athletic. Uh, in the future and and of course with the position players they've really stressed middle of the field you know center field shortstop type guys athletes you know you look at draft you know like uh, Tyreen Paris uh, Errol Vera and and even uh, a guy like William English who is a two-way player uh, really (laughs) exciting you know, huge body, physical, athletic, strong, big, you know, big hands. Uh, you're just seeing some things uh, from a drafting uh, and a Latin America signing uh, perspective that you didn't see, you know, eight, ten years ago. And, uh, you know, you got to remember these are higher ceiling guys and, uh, guys who can miss, <laughs> you usually miss on more higher ceiling guys. You know, they drafted a lower ceiling guy like Will, Will uh, Wilson and traded him uh, to the Giants. Uh, but frankly, you know, I think most, I don't know, most scouting directors would rather take a chance on a, a really premium athlete with a high upside and, and hope that he pans out than taking, you know, that typical, you know, maybe a college senior or whatever it is you know the the uh, look at some of the guys they drafted in the high rounds in the last decade Kyron Paris and Errol Vera two very young but very athletic middle infielders rounded out the top 10 how many other guys were in consideration here we mentioned Jemiah Jones who had been in the top 10 before kind of salvaged some things with his hot finish and uh, was added to the 40-man roster in this offseason uh, there's some other interesting guys particularly out of Latin America for you, how many other guys were in the mix here to be in the top 10? Not many, to be honest. Uh, I guess the one guy, and I, re- I didn't want to put him in the top 10 because he's just so darn young, but this uh, high school pitcher they took out of Philadelphia uh, last year, Jack Kachanowicz, uh, 6'6", 220. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he'll be, uh, he's like 19 years old. Big bodied, you know, just real, uh, you know, 90, 93 already uh, as an 18, 19 year old, has touched 95, uh, good late life, rides up in the zone, pretty good curve, pretty good changeup. Uh, I mean, this is a guy, 
you just look at that body and you think, my goodness, you know, he could really be intimidating when he uh, gains some more strength, uh, fills out uh, even more physically. Uh, so once again, like we talked about before, just some guys who athletically uh, are blessed with a lot more tools. He uh, he's exciting. You know, Deshaun Knowles is a guy we kind of had in this range uh, for a year or two, but I think he, he kind of took a little step back this past year. Uh, but really, you know, I think as a whole, while the system is definitely deeper, more athletic, more prospects, more upside, it's still a middle-of-the-pack, you know, uh, system. And if you, you know, if you took Joe Adele out of there, they might be in the low 20s as opposed to the teens. So uh, they still have a ways to go, definitely some improvements. But I'm, it's not so good where, you know, <laughs> you're, you're struggling to figure out who should be in that top 10. I think the big question everyone wants to know, Mike, especially Angels fans, after the first decade of this new century where they won a World Series and then won five division titles in six years, this decade won a playoff appearance, and with that it was a sweep at the hands of the Royals and the ALDS. Given what's at the major league level and given what's in the farm system, how much longer until this team returns to the playoffs and starts contending, you know, not just for playoff appearances again, but... ALCSs and World Series. Yeah, they're they're a lot closer now. I'm I'm still I'm still not sold on their starting pitching. They they've gotten a lot deeper uh, than they were last year. Uh, I and Otani coming back, if he can even pitch like you know, if he can make twenty to 20, 23 starts, that could be a big boost. To me, their rotation is filled with, you know, number four, number five starters, uh, except for Otani. Uh, I'm not sold on Dylan Bundy, Julio Turan. All these guys are a lot more durable. Uh, They have track records, uh, and that's going to be better than, you know, look at who they signed last year and Trevor Cahill, you know, Matt Harvey, guys who... Who were hurt, you know, all these bounce back candidates just aren't, you're not going to go very far with them. Uh, so, this is why we, we thought, you know, them getting Garrett Cole would have been so huge this minute. He was everything they needed, you know, that front of the rotation guy, uh, stud, you know, whether pitching every five days, a guy you could, you know, lean on in a post game series. They still don't have that. Can you win a World Series without that? Yeah, they did in 2002. You know, their rotation wasn't very good back in 2002, and and they won it all. So it's just a lot harder nowadays, though. Um, I think their lineup is going to be lethal. Uh, you know, between Peterson, Rendon, added to Trout, Upton, uh, you know, Anderson, Simmons. You would have some pool holes. It's going to be... You know, even with uh, some guys getting on in years uh, and a little long in the tooth, it's going to be a pretty darn good lineup. So they're going to have to rely on outslugging teams, you know, outlasting them from a pitching standpoint. They're going to lean heavily on their bullpen, uh, as they always do. I think they should compete for a playoff spot this year. But to me, they're still, you know, that one, one to two really, really good starting pitchers away from competing with the likes of, uh, you know, the Yankees or the Dodgers or those teams or the Astros even in their own division, uh, you know, to get to that World Series. So they're, they're getting closer. I'm not convinced they're there yet, but they're, 
going to score a lot of runs this year and play a lot of high-scoring games, is my prediction. Yeah, and after four straight losing seasons, I think even if an 85-win season, an 86-win season where they fall short of the playoffs but show some improvement, that would count for something. And uh, we'll see if the Angels can do that, whether that's everyone staying healthy, which never really happens, but you can hope for it. Injuries have have hurt the Angels, having Otani stay healthy, having Griffin Canning stay healthy. Pitcher health has crushed the Angels in particular in recent years, Uh, Andrew Heaney as well. So that's going to be something to watch. But the good news is for the first time in a while, it seems like the Angels have some guys who can come up from the farm system and and make a big impact. And uh, we'll see if those guys are needed or not. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight and expertise as always. All right, Kyle. Thanks, man. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Mike DiGiovanna, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.